This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, so we're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm in our live programs, check out The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com. That's where we've got a lot of fundamentals of dating and attraction such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, and a lot of stuff that's more important than you might think. We've also got networking, breakups, business development, relationships there as well. We've also got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details at bootcamps.theartofcharm.com, two dots in there, or give us a call here in the office, 888-413-7177, or you can even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today, we're talking with MJ Shar, author of Smarts and Stamina, The Busy Person's Guide to Optimal Health and Performance. You know we're big on health, performance, and anything that can make us more productive and happier and healthier here on the show. So today we're gonna be talking about productivity and being pretentiously busy all the time. You all know those people, and you might even be one of them. Sleep debt myths and truths, why bad sleep results in bad eating, five biochemicals that impact our health behaviors and how to manage them, or at least try to manage them, and why painting Snoopy can help you get fit and be more productive, and last but not least, applying practical systems to improve our sleep and our mood. Enjoy this one with MJ Shar. I think you're on the right track. I call it, and, and I actually think I may have borrowed this from someone like Tim Ferriss or something like that, but it's called the low information diet. And basically what it is, yeah. is, you know, when I'm home with my parents, I notice they're watching the news at 10 and then they watch the 11 o'clock news and I'm like, guys, who cares if a house in Warren, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles away got robbed and, you know, it just, it doesn't affect you. It's designed to scare you so that you watch. There's very rarely anything of interest in there. And yes. if you if you count on, I, I actually paid attention to this because I'll read something if someone sends me an article like, Tesla has a new self-driving car. Cool. I want to read that. I want to watch the video. There might be one story like that on the 11 o'clock news or the 10 o'clock news, but the rest of it is just like, a cat was stuck in a tree for three days and nobody bothered <laughs> yes. to help it. Story at 11. And exactly. I'm like, waste of, just waste of bandwidth. And I'm one of those guys, and I know you are too, one of those gals that wakes up and goes, how did I get that much email overnight? Shouldn't everybody be sleeping? And then you go through and you're constantly battling that and your your messages and your you've got staff and employees that need to ask you for things and you're creating stuff for other people, which is what takes up the vast majority of my time. So the last thing I need is to read or to be spoon fed news stories like they're putting in bike lanes in Cupertino. Big deal. No one cares. Right. I'll find out when I go down there on my bike that they have or don't have bike lanes. I really don't care. And and right. so I don't think it does need to change. I think it's that's kind of a pressure that you feel because you feel dumb not knowing, you know, who so and so is on some news thing. If someone says, "You don't you haven't heard about this?" And, and instead of being embarrassed about it, you should say, "No, I haven't. I've managed to avoid junk TV for the whole quarter." 
I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and I'm I'm doing everything I can to not be one of those people who keep saying, you know, how busy they are and how they have no time to breathe and how their life is crazy and how they're drowning and all of those demands. And, you know, um, I find that it's unhealthy and it's an attitude that people tend to celebrate, which is number one, destructive. Number two, it breaks up communication between people. And number three, it's so unsexy. You know, rather than talk to someone who keeps bragging about, oh, I only slept four hours last night because I'm so busy, I'd much rather wake up. I'd much rather hear that somebody woke up feeling refreshed and ready for a big day, you know? I agree with you. You know, I actually wrote an article about this a while ago, and there are many other sort of better articles that have been written about it before and probably since. But being busy is is really just a self-important thing. And I noticed it in high school because I was with a bunch of overachievers there. And then again in law school, this pattern repeating itself where people went, oh my God, I just didn't even have time to study for this exam and I didn't have time for this and I, I sleep three hours a night and I drink 18 cups of coffee. And I'm thinking, wow, this person must be, I used to be the naive guy who said, this person is really, they must be so productive. And no. so I, would, I actually lived with a bunch of people in, in law school and one of the, I had one of those guys who was like four or five hours of sleep every night, always busy, didn't really work out much either. And I went, all right, I'm just going to pay attention to what this guy does for the next day and a half. I didn't even need a day and a half. Yeah. He spent hours outlining things where there were already outlines created. And I said, why are you doing that? He goes, well, I feel like, you know, typing it out helps me clarify my thoughts. And I'm like, no, that's not doing anything. If you want to do that summarize it in different words yourself, but don't just do the clerical work of like retyping an outline. That's insane. And, yeah. he would, and it would be perfectly formatted and I'd go, all right, are you using these to study for the test? And he goes, yeah, I flipped through them. And I'm like, so you could have flipped through the ones that were already made too. And he's like, yeah, I guess I could. And I'm like, what if you just stopped doing that? And that's when I realized he was largely just a neurotic guy who needed to make busy work for himself because if he wasn't right. working, he just felt like he wasn't doing anything and he worried the whole time instead of relaxing. And if he slept a full eight hours a night, he would probably be able to recognize that. Oh, yeah. You know, when people tell me, oh, I'm so tired, I only slept four hours last night, what I hear is not, oh, I'm so busy and important and successful. What I hear is I am temporarily and reversibly mentally impaired, but my judgment is currently too clouded for me to realize it. Yeah, it's that is perfect. It's like when you're drunk and you're like, I should have another one of these because it was good. And everyone's uh, yeah. like, dude, you need <laughs> to stop drinking drinking right now and you're like I'm yes. fine you know and you're the guy yeah, like yeah. you can't find the toilet that's those guys right. on sleep deprivation and and it's very true and the more you read about it the more you're like wait you need a full eight hours and and, and then some and so I used to be that guy who just could not wake up in the morning because I biological clock whatever not even just a night owl just needed a lot of sleep now I need less and I can function on less but if I wake up after six hours I will, unless I'm really feeling gung-ho about the day for some reason, I will go back to sleep and force myself to go back into REM sleep for another two hours and set an alarm, even if it makes it a little bit harder to get up. And, and that's, that's been sort of a struggle, but I realize, okay, I, maybe I only need six, but probably I'll do well with these extra two hours. And I'll tell you, after three or four days, if I'm only getting six hours of sleep, I look at myself, it's Thursday, Friday morning, and I'm like, I don't want to do a damn thing. And if I do sleep enough, I'm like, man, you know what? I feel awesome. I can get a full day of work done on Friday. I can work right up until I'm going out with my friends, and then I can take the weekend to decompress. And I am much better off for it. And 
I've even told my business partners, like, listen, guys, you know, I need to go to bed early and I need to do this. Don't call me after this time. And they realize, like, hey, if we want this company to stay in business, don't call Jordan after nine unless it's an emergency because he's sleeping, you know, like an old man. Right. Well, that's and that's the way it should be. That's the way it's been for thousands of years. We changed that in the last 50, and it doesn't mean that it was the best move we could ever make, you know? And I think that some of that busyness, as you were saying, we self-create. Other other things we accept from others that we shouldn't accept. Um, as an example, the other day I got a call from a random guy, completely random guy. He probably just saw my website and figured he'd give me a ring. And um, he's a f- financial planner. And I said to him, well, we have, uh, my husband and I have actually just made decisions not too long ago and we're transferring all of our stuff with this one guy, which we have a good relationship with and we feel good about our decisions. And, you know, he kept pushing and he said, you know, can I send you at least a couple of video emails and that way you can, you know, just look at them and decide. And, and I'm like, I am not giving you my email address, you know, because now you'll keep sending me information and stuff and you're going to try and create dissonance with the plan I have already created and I feel good about at this moment. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, I said, I'll just be honest with you. I don't don't intend on watching your videos. So save yourself the time, save me the time. Let's not do that. And then he said, well, you, you're saying that uh, you're, you feel good with your decisions and you're well-informed. Do you know what blah, blah, blah is? And I can't remember what he asked about, but like some form of annuity or I don't know what. I just decided that I did not want to entertain the conversation any further. And I said to him, hey, buddy, I wish you good luck on your next call. Yeah, that's overly aggressive salesmanship and kind of ridiculous. But in the past, I would have been too scared to offend him. And I would have said, oh, yes, yeah, send me your video links. I'll watch them. You know, and then I would have invested even more time watching those and maybe researching a little bit some of the concepts and wondering the, how does that compare to what we have already decided on and blah, blah. Right. Right. Sure. That's well, that's the whole point, though. Right. Make them second guess their current plan. Get them figure out whether they want to make what is it if it's an investment thing. Do you want to make more money faster? So appeal to your greedy side or say, you know, what you're doing right now has an inherent risk that I can lower and play to their fear side. Neither one of those things is going to make you sleep better at night. Right. And the fact that you're calling me completely out of the blue and you're using some of those desperate sales tactics, tell me that whatever you're selling can't be that good. Otherwise, you'd have a full clientele. It's so funny you should mention that because I I do get a lot of that at the Art of Charm as well, where people, either people trying to sell things to us as a business, people trying to sell me things personally, or even potential clients being like, you know, I maybe I'll do this now, maybe I'll do it later. And there's nothing that feels better than saying, well, we're sold out five months in advance, um, so if you want to do it now, you should let me know because the soonest I can get you in is March and it's, you know, October. And they're like, oh, nice try building urgency. And I'm like, no, no, not a problem. You can register later if you want to. I'm just letting you know how it is. And you're just kind of like, it's so much easier now because there's so many people that want it. Years ago, I'd be like, you know, if you don't do this, you might never achieve the goals and meet the people you need to meet to succeed. And it always felt so smarmy, you know? (laughs) And now that I have no scarcity and I can really sort of sell the Art of Charm programs, quote unquote, like I live my whole life and it's just an extension of that, it's so much nicer to be in alignment there. So yeah, you're right. To have somebody call you out of the blue with no intro, then try to make you feel bad about a decision that you've made is the mark of somebody that obviously doesn't have a really good business in the first place. Because nobody's calling you and saying, you should buy an index fund that doesn't make me any money but is really safe. They're saying, hey, I've got an opportunity for you that is a limited time, blah, 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 whatever. And it's just some kid trying to build a portfolio. And you know, bless him for that. It's his job. But It's not good for you. It's a zero-sum game. You lose at that point. Right. Good. 
Tell tell us about you though. I mean, you are uh, you're a comp. Can I? Do people call you MJ or do we need to go with Marie Jose? Because a lot of people are not going to be able to spell that. Exactly. I go by MJ for that very reason. I've been called so many different names since I've moved to the U.S. from French Canada. Mary Josie, you get that a lot. Uh, a little bit, but mainly Maria, Maritza, Marie, Mary Jane. <laughs> you wow. know, they know it's like a Marie something, and there's something else after that, and they try and throw whatever they can think of after the Marie part. So I go by MJ. <laughs> wow, that's just lazy. I mean, that Mary Jane is just straight lazy. It's it's they only get one letter, and the first letter and the last letter is all they get right. Right. <laughs> Although right. there are studies that show that that's how your brain reads in the first place, right? You know, I got sympathy for people who had a hard time with my name. At first, I thought, that's just lazy. Make an effort. Come on. It can't be that difficult. It's four syllables, right? And one day, I met a lady who was from China, and she said her name was Kim. And I said, come on. Your name is not Kim. What is it? And she told me what her name was, which to me sounded foreign and difficult. So I repeated it, repeated it, repeated it many times until I had it, you know, decent enough for her to smile and say, yeah, yeah, that's it, right? right? And I was like, okay, I got the name, I got the name. I ran into that lady a week later, I saw her and I was like, hi, Kim. I could not spit out those four syllables again. Yeah. And so that's when I was like, okay, Marie-José can be complex for people. It really can be. And now I understand it. So I'm going to be MJ from now on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what you do because you've got, I mean, I'm looking at your qualifications here and I don't like to read people's bios because they're really contrived and, oh, and ridiculous. But I mean, you've got a lot of letters after your name theoretically here. You're a trainer, wellness consultant, culture uh, wellness coach, applied positive psychology, organizational behavior. I mean, make up your mind already. Come on. <laughs> well, so basically what I do is I help people lead more positive, healthier, more productive, more fulfilling lives. And so I have studied a bunch of different disciplines that help me get there. Okay. And you wrote a book about it called Smarts and Stamina, two things I think everybody wants. Exactly. Yes. Nobody says, oh, no, I don't want any smarts and I don't want any stamina. So I figured that could be a good title. Yeah, no, I'm good being a lazy, smart lop of crap. Thanks, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't hear that a lot. No, I would imagine. I would imagine. I mean, it, it's very tough now. And I'm trying not to be self-important here. But as people who listen to the show know, I'm terrible at, at not doing that. The busier that one gets, speaking of people being pretentiously busy, the harder it is to manage and maintain your health. And improving your health if you need to, you know, lose a couple of pounds, the, the old cliche, it's really tough. And I, I met with my EO group, which is all guys, and they're a little bit older than me, but every single person is like, need to lose these 20 pounds. I need to get to the gym more. I need to, and it's just like a broken record. And me and one other guy are constantly trying to figure out how to help them, them out with this. And that's when your name came across my desk because not that I'm great at staying in shape, but I do prioritize it even more or as much as business meetings where somebody might say, I need to give you a check for $18 million. And I'm like, cool, it's going to have to wait till after I work out with my trainer, because if I don't, I feel like garbage. Well, totally. You know, I saw somebody one day that had a T-shirt that said somebody busier than you is running right now. That's amazing. And, you know, President Obama 
runs and works out. Michelle Obama works out. And no matter what people think of how good they are in their roles, they are busier than us. <laughs> I would expect that to be true. Yeah, I would expect that they're busier than us, you know, or, or, or most of us. So, and they can work out. So there are a lot of busy people who work out. And I think that the brain performance that we get from the workout, the creativity, the self-confidence, the ability to make decisions far outweighs the time that we have to invest in that workout. Right. I used to think I could get that from coffee, but it's, uh, it's only working about 80%. It only works when you think it's working until you try something else and then you realize, eh, it really wasn't that great. Right, yeah, it's like um, meditation or the sleep example we gave. I'm fine on my five hours, six hours of sleep every night. And then you get those people in a week where they actually can get eight hours and they're like, I, I feel amazing. This is unbelievable. Yeah, and research shows that our perception of our abilities um, diminishes far slower than our real abilities diminish. So in other words, if I sleep less and less, I think that I'm doing kind of okay, but really I'm doing really poorly. Oh, wow. It's again, just like alcohol where you think you're fine and then you realize, oh, wow, I'm, my reaction time is terrible or I can't really, I didn't see those stairs right there. When did those stairs get there? Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or, you know, one day, that's a sad story, but my husband was with someone who was overly drunk and he was trying to walk in his garage door. Now, that's a big door, right? But he hit the sidewall. Oh, wow. Now, at that point, the guy realized that he was overly drunk, <laughs> but he probably didn't realize he was getting there. You know, the process of getting there, he didn't realize what he was doing. Yeah, that, and thank goodness he didn't learn while he was in a car, right? Because that's when a lot of people learn that they're too drunk to drive. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's right. why my, my husband was with him. He drove him home. Yeah, good, <laughs> good. But so when our perception is really bad, that's when you get the people listening to the show going, I don't really need to worry about this. I'm the exception to the rule when really this is just your cognitive, what's the, like a cognitive fallacy. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's the confirmation bias that you are the one that's good. When I give speeches, you know, I will ask the audience, so how many of us can definitely say, you know, raise your hand, show me, how many of us can definitely say, I am a below average driver? And in a room of, let's say, 500 people, I will have no more than 10 hands up. And, and that's including mine. <laughs> and then I right. make the joke, yeah, my husband told me enough time, I know, I know that I'm blonde, there's a reason. So, if we are 500 people in this room, why are there only 10 people below average? In theory, there should be 250 hands up, right. but there are only 10 because we always think we're the ones who are okay. The other guy is the one who doesn't know how to drive. Well, same thing. 98% of the population needs between seven and a half and eight and a half hours of sleep each night. But about you know 40% of the population thinks that they are the ones okay with six hours. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I used to think that too. And and to be frank, if I only get six hours, what I tell myself when I'm awake is, you know what, I've done this before and I'll be fine. And I think that that's okay as long as it's not a habit. Well, here's the thing. Sleep functions like a line of credit. So if you borrow two hours 
on your line of credit, let's say you borrow 2000 on your line of credit, you're okay. You can eventually pay it back. The interest charge is not all that big, right? On your line of credit, the interest charge is in dollars. In your life, in your sleep, the interest charge means your perception might be a little bit lower. Your ability to make decisions might be a little slower, that kind of thing. So the interest is not all that big. Eventually, you will pay back your debt, which means this weekend, instead of sleeping your normal eight hours, you might sleep nine and you already paid back one hour. So that works okay. The problem is when people keep withdrawing, withdrawing, withdrawing. So if you're always borrowing from your line of credit, eventually you won't be able to reimburse the entire amount. If you always borrow from your sleep line of credit, well, eventually the interest will be really large. And at that point, it's tough to pay back your entire debt. Now, the only thing that we don't know is how far back can the body go? Like, does it remember your debt from a year ago? I probably, I would say probably not. Does it remember your debt from two weeks ago? I would say probably yes. So we don't know how far the body remembers it, your, your sleep debt, but we know that it does remember the debt. And as long as you haven't paid it back, you will be driven to sleep a little bit more. I didn't realize that. I thought sleep debt was kind of a BS myth where it's like, you know, three days ago, I only slept for two hours. And, you know, the next day you sleep for eight and you're fine. I didn't realize that you need to consistently. Is it true? You need to consistently sleep eight hours. So if I'm not sleeping eight hours per night and I don't say Monday, I only get six hours. Does that mean I need to sleep in on Saturday for real? Well, your body will drive you to try and compensate. And that compensation, you know, for some people will happen with maybe you're going to catch a little snooze. Maybe if you meditate, you may compensate a little bit that way. Uh, for some people, it may be that your biochemical activity will be out of whack for a little bit. So you might not have as much serotonin, which helps you feel cool, calm, and collected. So you might feel that you're a little more snippy for a few days. Um, or your cortisol levels might be higher. And so you might feel like you have more food cravings for a few days. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. So sleep, bad sleep, surprise, surprise, results in bad eating. Oh, yes. Big time. Most of the people that come to me because they want a food plan, um, first thing we do is let's look at, you know, what else is going on in your life and let's look at your sleep habits. Because if you can't, if there's a, a sleep problem and you don't fix the sleep, it's going to be really hard to fix the food because your body is driving you to quick sources of energy. It's driving you to overeat and it's driving you to overeat high sugar, high fat foods. Why is that? Because it wants quick energy. Oh, yeah, sure. And because, as I said, you don't have as much serotonin, and serotonin is, is a biochemical that helps us regulate our responses. So you are not as strong to say no to temptations. Huh, okay. Well, I didn't realize that, and it makes perfect sense. And there's more to it as well. Like, for example, if you don't sleep enough, you're, you don't have enough leptin, and leptin is the biochemical that lets you know, okay, you've eaten enough, you don't need to eat anymore. So... You know, if you don't have enough leptin, then you'll keep eating past point of hunger. So there's all kinds of biochemical reactions that are being rebalanced while we sleep. So if we don't sleep enough, those biochemicals are out of whack. And that's why it puts our other habits into jeopardy. Ah, okay. Here's a problem though, right? I hear about leptin. I hear about serotonin. I hear about adrenaline and I don't even know, melatonin. There's a lot of those. Which ones do I need to be worried about and thinking about? I can barely remember to put gas in my car. I certainly don't know if I should be thinking about every single one of these bio oxytocins, another one. How do I, which ones do I need to manage and which ones are just trendy? 
Well, really, it's very simple because you don't need to know who, what they are and what they do all that much. What you need to know is the better your sleep, your food, your mood, and your exercise habits, the better all of those biochemicals are going to work for you. And the worse you do in your sleep, your food, your mood, your exercise. So if you stay very sedentary, you chop your night's sleep to only five hours and you eat, you know, at Burger King, um, then then you're in trouble. All of those biochemicals are starting to work against you. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a problem, of course. So do we focus on good habits or do we try to plug holes in the ship first? <laughs> I like to focus on good habits. I like to focus on what works and how do we do more of that instead of trying to focus on what's wrong and how do we try and fix that. I think it's a more motivating way to go about it. Um, you feel like you're making progress faster. It's at least as effective, if, if not more. So where do we start with this stuff? I mean, try to get eight hours of sleep, but what if I'm so busy? What's the, what do you tell your clients where they say, but I can't, I'm too busy? So it's not the same for everyone. Of course, if you're, let's say, a new parent and you have a, you know, newborn twins and you already had a full-time job and it happens to be tax season and you're an accountant, well, clearly your sleep hours are going to suffer terribly, right? So I'm not putting everyone in the same boat, but in general, when people say, I don't have time for good health habits, I'm telling them you are putting the cart before the horse. It's not when you have time that you will then be able to take care of your health. It's when you take care of your health, you're also taking care of your brain. And so when you do that, if you exercise a little bit more, if you sleep a little bit more, you won't need to go read old emails to remember a piece of information that somebody said to you at some point because it will be right there for you to access. You won't need to look around your house three times to find your keys because you will know where you've left them or where you always tend to put them because your brain will be working for you. You won't struggle with a decision quite as long because you'll feel more solid about your decision-making ability and your thought processes. So when you start taking care of your health, then you are also taking care of your brain, and that means it frees up some time. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. So basically, by taking care of our health, a lot of these other productivity hacks and things that people who are busy constant, constantly are obsessed over will start to either come into place or be moot because you won't need those yes. systems to make up for what your brain would normally do if it were well-rested. Yes, and those productivity hacks are usually big frustration generators as well. So to eliminate that is a great thing. That's a good point, right? Because then you're just punishing yourself oh, I forgot to do my daily productivity thing. Now I'm not going to, you know, and you're just beating yourself up over that when really all you need is more better rest in a lot of ways. Well, you know, just think about trying to find a document that you don't know where you've placed it because you're trying to confirm a piece of information that you need to move on with a project you're working on, right? If it was right there for you to access in your brain, you can already be productive, but while you're looking for the document and the piece of information, you are frustrated looking for it. So if you can save that step, not only are you saving time, but you're saving the frustration of it. That's interesting. I never thought about having the frustration element add to the stress level, of course, but that now that you mentioned it, it's completely obvious. But you gave an analogy of being in the same restaurant twice, but having two different experiences. Does that apply to what we're talking about right now? Yes, it totally does. So let's imagine that you are in a restaurant, pick out, you know, some terrace of your choice in your own head. And this time you are enjoying um, a meal with a friend and there's some 
very cool background music that's played by the restaurant while you're having your meal. What kind of experience will that lead to? What kind of conversations will that lead to? And how will you feel when you leave the restaurant? Now, let's imagine the exact same scenario, but this time we don't have the cool background music. We have sirens going off. We have traffic. We have cars beeping. We have people yelling at each other on the street corner. You know, just change the music and the background sounds of that environment. It's probably going to disrupt your conversation. You're probably going to shorten your meal a little bit. You might chew less (laughs) and digest poorly as a result, and you might leave feeling a little drained from the experience. It was the same menu. It was the same wait staff. It was the same friend. It was the same restaurant. But the background music changed how you lived through those events. So as we go through life, we are living to the background tune of our biochemical activity. And those biochemicals can make things a little bit more pleasant or a little bit worse. They can make them more irritating, uh, easier to go through, harder to go through. Your life can seem muddy. It can seem clear. All of that based on what biochemicals are acting in you. And once again, we don't need to know which ones are doing what and try and manage them on purpose all that much. We just need to know that good sleep, food, mood, and exercise will rebalance the harmony of those biochemicals so that they work for us instead of against us. Perfect. And so how do we start to leverage these to make progress in those areas that you'd mentioned, sleep, food, mood, exercise? I mean, how do we start to build on on the right philosophy? So whichever of these four seems to be the hardest for you, let's say it's food. Well, to me, food is your weakness, so it's not your solution. Work on the other ones. Maybe if you start giving yourself a better bedtime routine so you can fall asleep a little bit faster. Maybe if you start exercising a little bit more so it diminishes some of your emotional eating, you know, work on the other three. If food is is what you have the hardest time with, then work on sleep, on mood, or on exercise. Doing that first of all, is not associated with a lifetime of past failures. People who have a hard time with food often have tried a bunch of diets. They've tried to lose weight. They've tried to eat less of this, more of that, and so on and so forth. And they've always found it super, super difficult. So if you work on the other three groups of habits, then you are not pulling in all of that baggage with you. Number two, if you're not working on something that's a big weakness for you, progress is more likely to happen and happen effectively. And as you are making progress in these other categories, you are doing what's right for that biochemical balance of yours. And then food becomes easier naturally as a a consequence of whatever else you've done. Ah, okay. And why is that? Because as you're rebalancing those biochemicals, you are not pulled to overeat. Once again, you either have more leptin um, that, that helps you realize you've eaten enough, or you have more serotonin that's making you stronger to say no to temptations, or you have lower cortisol, and cortisol generates high sugar, high fat food cravings. So if you have lower cortisol, then you are not driven to the snacks and the donuts as much. So working on the other things rebalances your music inside. And with that better music, you can make better decisions with your food more easily. Ah, got it. Okay. Now back to the show. That definitely matches with my experience because I remember back in college, especially if you had like a weekend of just drinking and gross stuff, 
you know, you'd be like smoking and drinking beer and eating pizza. And then during the week, I would I'd be back in the gym, you know, every day or whatever. And I'd be like, ah, I don't want to drink a beer and eat a pizza or smoke anything. This is gross. I'm trying to eat some chicken and just go to sleep. You know, I'm tired or do my work and be done with it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of people who start to exercise realize, oh, all of a sudden I want to eat more vegetables. A lot of people who start to sleep more realize, oh, I don't have my mid-afternoon cravings anymore. Right. A lot of people who manage their mood realize, hmm, I don't need my emotional overeating or compensation or whatever through food. Well, that definitely that definitely jibes with my experience. But I think the, the trick is, how do we start, how do we get started on this process? Because it's I mean, honestly, if it was just, hey, get to the gym and go to bed earlier, then nobody would even bother listening to the show because if you could just tell people to do that stuff and they would do it, then I w- I'd be out of business really fast. Right, right. So um, there's an analogy that I like to share. When um, I start a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to explore my creative side a little bit more. And so I decided that I wanted to paint. But because I don't know how to paint, I have no technique whatsoever, I wanted to start with something that I knew I could succeed at. And so I started by painting Snoopy using paint by numbers. And my canvas was really small and I only had eight colors to play with. And it took me about, I don't know, four hours to complete the whole little project. And it was really fun and I really enjoyed it. And I was really proud of the result. I tried to, you know, give it my own spin and my own touch and little corners. And it was, it was a perfect little project. Well, my husband, he's so supportive, said, oh, I'm going to put Snoopy in my office. And I went, whoa, hold on, hold on. If you want to put one of my paintings um, in your office, I'm going to paint something worthy of your office. And that's when I decided I was going to paint Venice. Now, I still use paint by numbers, but my canvas was, you know, about five or six times bigger. Instead of eight colors, I now have 32. Instead of two paint brushes, I now had four or five. And the project's complexity was like super augmented. So much so that 40-some grueling hours later, I had hated working on Venice, and I decided never to finish it. And today, Snoopy is in my husband's office. (laughs) The reason why I bring that up is that people do the same thing when it comes to their health. They want to go from Snoopy to Venice. They have never eaten anything green in the last six months. They've slept poorly, you know, five hours a night, and they've never exercised in the last 10 years. And now all that once, they want to hire a personal trainer, work out five days a week, have nothing but salads at lunch, have nothing but chicken and veggies at dinner, and they fail. It becomes too big too soon, and they just give up. So instead... What I'd like to do is to help people paint Snoopy over and over again. Start with one Snoopy, have fun, go with for a second project of the similar size. So maybe for you, you know, what you're most interested in, maybe it's to work on your mood. Maybe you need a little anger management. Maybe you need a little cynicism reduction. Have you been talking to my girlfriend? (laughs) How did you know? <laughs> I I will not respond to that. I plead the fifth. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Fair enough. 
So, so yeah, maybe for you, it starts with working a little more positivity into your mood. And once you've done that, you can take the next step. And maybe the next step is adding in a little meditation or sleeping in an extra 15 minutes in the morning or sleeping a little earlier at night so you can get up earlier in the morning. And then your next step will be, now I'm going to walk to work or now I'm going to just add a little 15 minutes of stretches before I have breakfast. I don't know what. Things you are interested in, things that are not painful to you and things that will get you in the right direction. So just on a practical level, what about things like attacking the sleep monster, right? You know, a lot of people, because I advise this a lot, just because it's my like old wives tale of like, get more sleep. That's my, you know, panacea for people who are always tired. Ah, Go to bed earlier. But then they're like, I'm tossing and turning all night. And I don't know if it's because they have stress or because they're not used to going to bed that early and they've got like a pattern, you know, that they've got a break or it's blue light or whatever it is. Do you have any tricks for going to bed early and making that process a little bit more uh, or less painful? Yes. So if you spend your entire day on the gas pedal, you know, in fifth gear, then don't expect you can hit park at night and sleep all at once. You need to give yourself some breathing room in your day so that your body can stop the production of let's speed up hormones and that by the time you reach your bed, you are not still wired and like running in your head. So breathing breaks, meditation breaks, a little walk, you know, to your lunch spot instead of taking the car or the cab, little mental breathing rooms. You know, you're standing in line at the cash at the grocery store. Well, stand in line and just breathe. You don't need to be on Twitter for that minute. And those little pauses that we can engineer throughout our day help us sleep better at night. So that's number one. Number two is if all you're doing all day long is move from chair to chair to chair, your body hasn't gotten the necessary amount of movement it needs in one day. And as a result, it retaliates and it's making you restless at night. So you need to find some more ways to move during your day. And if you're saying, well, I'm in meetings all day, um, well, if it's just one day, it's all right. But if that's how it is all the time, you need to start to look at ways to, you know, do walk and talk meetings maybe. Or if you're on a conference call, nobody sees you, well, get up and squat while you're on that phone call. You know, you do some push-ups on your desk. If you're, you know, waiting for someone to come and see you and you just have 30 seconds, again, don't go read Twitter, get up and do a stretch or do something so your body moves. And the more you move during the day, the less restless you will be at night. And number three, that's really a sleep tip. Parents know that very well, you know, and and we can all relate. Even if we don't have parents, we have senior friends or family members. And sometimes we may even remember from our own childhood, parents, when we put kids to bed, We have a routine, right? We brush our teeth, we wash our face, we use the restroom, we take our bath, whatever the case may be. We say prayers or we read books or, you know, there's a routine, a bedtime routine that helps the child ease himself or herself to sleep. But when it comes to us, we think we can go straight from answering emails, bang, bed. And the brain doesn't work that way. So if we establish a calming bedtime routine for ourselves, brush our teeth, wash our face, do it in dim light, you know, some peaceful setting, then maybe read for 15 minutes before we shut the light, then our brain understands that those are the steps that precede sleep. And the brain gains efficiency because the minute you start your routine, if you always do it in the same order, the same chronological order at roughly the same speed, then your brain, the minute you start that routine, understands, oh, we are headed to bed. 
let's start to slow down. Let's start to collaborate with that plan. So by the, you may invest an extra 15 minutes in your bedtime routine, but by the time you, you hit the light switch, your brain is ahead of the game and you don't toss and turn. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. You know, there's so much that goes into it. I don't have a problem with sleep at all. I'm that guy who goes and lays down and then I'm just done. I'm mm -hmm. out. I'd like to think, you know, it's because I give my all every day, but it's probably because I'm just frigging exhausted. I love it. I love the fact that I don't have to worry about that. I do remember back in the day when there was much more stress. I, my sleep was garbage and I had to do all kinds of tricks uh, all the way around to counting sheep. And now I find that if I'm not falling asleep right away, it's bad news because what it means is I'm not going to go to sleep for hours, you know, and I don't really know why that happens. A lot of times it's just straight up caffeine. Shouldn't have had that 5 p.m. coffee. But other times, it's usually there's something digging at me that I just can't fix right away, and it keeps me awake at night. Right, and that's often the case. You know, if you're a good sleeper and one night you can't sleep, well, there's a reason for it. And, and if you can identify, identify what that is and know how to respond, then that's always helpful. Now, of course, none of those tips will work for everybody all the time, right? Those are research-based, so that means it works for most people most of the time, but we are all individuals and we're all different, so some, something might work for one and not for the other. All right. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you want to add? Yes. When it comes to eating healthy, I think that a rule that people tend to forget, but which is so helpful, is to try and get the food in its most natural form. So the analogy I like to give for that is, you know, let's imagine that I'm telling you or, or somebody else who doesn't have a girlfriend, I have arranged a date for you and you are going to have an evening with Marilyn Monroe. Now, most guys are going to get pretty excited at that idea. Now, well, supposing she was still alive, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I would imagine she's looking pretty rough right now, but yeah. 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 No, I'm not suggesting a cadaver. I'm, I'm suggesting the real deal, right? Now, if instead um, of the real Marilyn Monroe, you have a Marilyn Monroe lookalike show up. Well, that, that's probably all right, but it's not quite as exciting. And if instead of that, I'm bringing you like a Marilyn Monroe lookalike Barbie doll, you know, now your excitement level are really, really low. So the same thing happens with the body versus food. If I tell your body, I'm going to feed you some lean steak tonight, your body gets really excited and it's, it's giving you good energy. If instead... I'm going to feed you some lunch meat. Now, your body's not quite as excited. I mean, it might be all right, but it's not that exciting. Now, if instead of that, it's a jerky meat, like, a, you know, those sticks that are super salty and that don't even go in the refrigerated section, now your body's like, wah, wah. Right, yeah. So the more natural the food, same thing, you know, brown rice, really exciting. White rice, not as much. Instant rice, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. So trying to think of the most natural form of food, like the real deal, as much as possible is a great way to start eating healthier without having to count calories or wonder about low fat, low sugar, all of that. By the way, really good sad trombone imitation. I got to hand it to you. Yeah, you, the proud bearer of bad news, right? <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much, MJ. Much appreciated. We'll link to your book, Smarts and Stamina, in the show notes as well. And I know that a lot of people are, they're going to be sleeping just a little bit easier tonight, thanks to your advice, or at least trying. I hope they do, because they will really reap the benefits. 
All right, thanks a lot to MJ, author of Smarts and Stamina. We're gonna be linking that up in the show notes as well. Sleep Debt, Myths and Truths. I actually learned something there about sleep, and I like learning about sleep because it's one of my favorite things to do. And of course, being busy versus actually getting things done, always a good dichotomy and a good differentiation to make in your own life. I always knew bad sleep resulted in bad exercise, eating, and sleep all go hand in hand, but I never really heard it put quite like that before. And I love the practical systems to improve the sleep and the mood. Again, the book, Smarts and Stamina, linked up in the show notes. And let me know what you guys think about this because honestly, show feedback and guest suggestions are key. This is a fanarchy. The show is run by you, the fans. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoy this one, don't forget to thank MG on Twitter. We're gonna have her linked up in the show notes as well. Details on our live programs at bootcamps.theartofcharm.com. Remember, there's two dots in there. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, then for God's sake, subscribe already. It's easy, and we have our iPhone and Android apps available theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. Get the free app, stream it to your phone, no excuses. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast and tell your friends, for God's sake, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else in person or shared on the web. But anyway, have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.